0: Hello and welcome back to the Moment of Truth podcast. This is the show where I invite you to take a moment to reflect and be proud of how far that we have come as individuals and as a community, but also honest about where we still have to go in our growth as supporters and protectors of Black trans power. Through personal testimony and honest conversation with community leaders, we will recognize the power we all have lurking within ourselves to not only impact our lives in a positive way, but also keep pushing Black trans power forward. Okay, I'm your host, Junior Mint, and let's get into this gig, okay? Because first off, I need to let y'all know that Your girl started her YouTube page. Get ready for so many new developments in my content creation. I want to turn this podcast into a video podcast so that way, if you're interested, you can actually see us while we're talking. I'm also doing extended content. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I do Minty Mondays. Literally just posted an eight-minute version of that on there. I'm also going to be doing reviews. I'm going to be talking about TV shows and music that I love, but as well, breaking down drag. It's going to be amazing. And so, yeah, that's the first thing y'all need to know but also I am so excited to get to talk with you and share how this freaking amazing week has been. But before we do that, you know exactly what we have to get into first, okay? We have to get into our morning affirmations. Again, if this is your first time listening, I need you to repeat this back to yourself, every line as if you mean it. And if you don't mean it, it's time to whip out that Meryl Streep level of acting, and it's time to really serve it to me, okay? Because these words are to help uplift you and remind you of your worth, you of your power. Because every single day, the worst thing you can do is forget your own power, okay? And so repeat these after me. Every single day, I am growing and I'm not just growing, I'm evolving. Evolving into a more happy, kind, and empathetic person because every obstacle is nothing more than a learning lesson. Every day is an opportunity, not a burden, because I woke up and that is a blessing. I am going to protect my happiness by any means necessary. That last line for me is one that really hits hard and has been something that has really got me through this week, which is just simply, I am going to protect my happiness, my sanity, my love, everything about me. I'm going to protect it by any means necessary because that's what I deserve. I am worthy of protecting my happiness. And oftentimes, we can forget that and we cannot remind ourselves of it. So if no one has reminded you this week, let it be clear that I am, that you are worth protecting your own energy. You are worth surrounding yourself by people who love you. You are worth not changing yourself for others, okay? That's what I really, really, really want you to know today, because this has been a beautiful week for me, not because everything has been perfect, but because I am still here, and I am still happy, and I am still growing, and I'm still working through everything with confidence and courage, simply because what? The world will not give you any of the opposite. The world will never give you all of the beautiful things that you deserve in this life. And on top of it, they will not always give you a reason to smile. And so I actually found so many different ways of bringing joy to myself and happiness and clarity to my life. Over the past week, and so I think when it comes to my roses and my thorns this week, my rose is just that I'm here, that I am maintaining my mental health through actually checking in consistently. I am as well on top of it, making sure that I am not putting myself in the positions that is putting my own mental health at risk. And I'm so thankful to not be doing it anymore, and I'm so thankful to realize that. Once I begin to embrace myself and love myself and really listen to what I'm feeling and what I want, it was so wild. The, the flip of having to deal with life changed in terms of like the smallest things that would feel like it would take all of my emotional energy. I was more apt and ready to like actually deal with it simply because I think that for me having to pretend to be someone else, or having to put someone else's consideration before my own. It's something that not only is just like kind of ingrained in who I am and not, well, most black trans people, because that's how we have to honestly navigate the world in order to not be murdered. But on the other side of it, I feel like when I actually had to do things or step out of myself in order to do things, it was just so much more immensely draining compared to when you get to walk Out the house as exactly who you are, proud of who you are, ready to face whatever the world is going to give you for being who you are, it makes dealing with a lot of things a lot easier because just having to get out of bed, I don't have to put on a character. I don't have to put on a mask just to go talk to my family or live my life or be like, oh, well, I don't want to say this specific thing because this person doesn't know this about me fuck how anybody else feels, fuck how anybody else, what anybody else cares about in terms of whether or not you fit into the box they want you to, fuck them. And that is part of the rose this week, it's just because I have truly been seeing the effects of putting myself first, and what I want first, and my happiness first, and everything about me first, just because I so rarely do it. And it's such an interesting, unique feeling for me, and that is definitely my rose this week, just taking it day by day and allowing myself to connect to myself and allowing myself to be vulnerable with myself and allowing myself to be honest with myself. Because oftentimes, that's not even the easiest thing for us to do to ourselves. And I mean us in terms of everybody. Because it's so easy to stay in the cycles that we are in. And it's easy for us to survive in the cycles that we create. Because we created them in order to survive. So I realized so oftentimes, it's so like a, a puzzle game of trying to track down how I really feel. But Since the first times I've been practicing and making sure to be mindful about how I'm speaking to myself and the truth I'm speaking to myself, it gets easier. So if anybody out there is working on it, working on being honest with yourself, working on being truthful with yourself, finding new ways to love yourself, just freaking know it gets easier. It gets easier the more work you put in, simply because it is another cycle you're creating. You're creating a cycle of self-love in your life. You're creating a cycle of taking care of yourself, creating a cycle of asking yourself actual questions that you need to be asked. There's so many different pieces of yourself that you are beginning to consistently nourish. And so just... No, it may not seem easy in the beginning. It may not seem easy a month in. It may not seem easy two months in. It may not seem easy five years in. But bitch, just know. It will get better and it will get easier. Just remember that the only person that you need is you, bitch. You came out this womb fully fleshed out, formed into the perfect angel that you are. And it's just a simple matter of getting to see the angel for yourself, okay? Oftentimes, people can see the beauty in ourselves when we can't. And so it's just a real matter of getting to see yourself in the true and honest light and the true and honest beauty that you are. And so... Yeah, that was a long, long, long little sermon about self-love and checking in with yourself and asking yourself the right questions. But it's very needed simply because we don't talk about it enough. And even if we talked about it every day, it still wouldn't be enough simply because it's a consistent, consistent work you don't get a day off of self-love or self-care. And the day that you do take a day off is the moment where you're like, "God damn, why am I so freaking depressed? The amount of times where I will just completely play into things that I know will not serve me well. Like when you're already high, then you take five more hits from the bowl or the bong or whatever. And then you're like, why am I having an anxiety attack? Well, bitch, well, bitch, you got really freaking high. Like you took You smoke too much weed, literally. And that will be the thing that will get in the way of me getting work done and realizing that, like, bitch... You are literally numbing yourself in ways that you're not even conscious about. Junior, do you really need this hit? Do you really need this? And not shaming myself for smoking, but just truly making sure that I'm getting what I'm wanting from this drug. Or am I unconsciously using this drug to numb something? And the moment I came out to my family and I came back from coming out to my family and making sure that everyone face to face knew about my transness, it was like, oh my God, I really was, this weed was not serving me. This weed was not serving me in the way that I wanted it to, but it was serving me in the way that I unconsciously needed it to. And so I have been really checking in with myself about so many different parts of my life that I'm like, oh my God you really don't like to drink that much. Oh my God, you really don't need to smoke that much. Like, you know what I mean? Really checking and being like, these were a lot of things that made it a lot easier to live with the knowledge of like, I can't be myself all the time in all spaces. And I think once I tore down that wall with my family and I faced the biggest fear that I didn't even know was a big fear for me, which was just getting to like face my family and truly stand in my truth, which I never got the chance to do. And so, yeah, I think- if this sermon is for anything, it's just the fact that your process is your process. Your story is your story. It took me 25 years to reach this beautiful, healthy place for me. I could definitely say that every other state that I was in, not state like physical state, but like, you know, emotional state I was in was just on a trajectory upward. Even when I thought I'd reached a place of understanding myself. Oh, bitch, this ain't the peak. This is just another amazing like view of all of the progress you've done, but you still got more to go up. And Where I'm at right now feels very much, very much like a peak, but I know that there's so much more of this beautiful mountain of my life ahead of me, and I'm just excited to navigate it and take care of myself through all the ups and downs, and yeah, I think that's my sermon for this one, because literally I'm just, I am so enamored and in love with and completely so engulfed in the fact that this is what it could be like to take care of yourself this is what it could feel like to actually check in with yourself and feel like you can actually carry yourself into every space you walk into even ones where your family's there and yeah i feel really great and i just want to repeat it one more time that you're doing fantastic if you were listening to this and you were trying to make progress in some part of your life some piece of your life just know you're killing it bitch you're killing it. There is no check-in marker that society gives you where you could be like, oh, how's everybody doing at this stage of your life with this trauma? No. You need to use your life and your progress as the benchmark. Do not look at other people. Do not look at what's going on in society, in a celebrity's life, in hell, in your neighbor's life. Focus on yourself and use yourself as a benchmark. Track your progress by your progress. Your progress, your growth, your love, every single piece of you that is evolving and getting to higher and higher vibrational states. If you don't know what that means, Google it. But getting to a higher place of enlightenment. And for all of those different pieces of you, use you as the benchmark, okay? Look at yourself five years ago, 10 years ago. Are you actually on a trajectory upwards or are you just live it are you just coasting through life these are the questions you need to ask yourself because these are the ones that I ask myself and these are the ones that help me out the most because I will look back and I'll be like oh I am really still in the same mental space that I am in that I was in when I was in high school or I'm in or well, I was in in college it's just truly one of those things where you, how often have you looked back at your life. How often have you looked back at how you felt? Do you still feel like the scared little kid from 10 years old? Or maybe the scared little kid from 15? Maybe you're the scared grown adult. Like there's so many levels of yourself that if you don't ask the questions, you won't be in touch with. The best thing you can do is ask yourself questions. Even questions that you feel are stupid, foolish, or just erroneous. Bitch, ask them because it's... How many times do you ask someone else a question because you're intrigued about them when you don't ask yourself any questions? Just because you live in this vessel you call your body does not mean that you know it because there's so many times where your body is screaming out that you're in pain in some place and you don't actually notice it. The amount of times where you're in mental distress and you choose to suppress it and ignore it instead of actually facing it, asking questions and trying to truly delve into what is triggering you. have actually grown so much through asking myself and sitting in uncomfortable questions. Nothing was more uncomfortable than me coming to terms with the fact that I have lived 20 plus years of my life as like a cisgender gay black man and realizing that all of that was not even who I was and that I had been putting up a whole facade to not even deal with the internalized transphobia that society put into me. So that's what I mean by sitting in those uncomfortable places because discovering something new about yourself. Is never, ever, ever going to be a comfortable thing. Because... It is like finding out that, like, there's a million dollars stored in your house randomly. Like, just buried under your floorboards is a million dollars. Like, how would you feel knowing that, like, there's all of this wealth here that I could have been really digging into and using to enrich my life, but instead I've just been walking over it and ignoring it? That's literally the exact same thing. I realized there was this beautiful, beautiful woman inside who was just dying and dying to get out and actually express herself and... I am just so thankful that I got to actually talk to her. I get to be her friend and realize that that friend is me. Like, I am my best friend. Like, you know what I mean? And so, yes, that is my whole Roseanne thorn for this week. I know I didn't really talk about a thorn, but like, I'm just, this is all of the beautiful processes that I'm going through. And I see them all as beautiful gifts and beautiful flowers in my life. Ups, downs, in-betweens. And so, this week's thorn is just advice and love and compassion because Every single up and down in your life is still a part of your life. An up is not the end and a down is not the end. There will always be more work, more deep digging into yourself, more reckonings, more realizations to come. There will always be another thing to realize and discover about your beautiful self, whether it be good or bad, because at the end of the day, you're going to wake up tomorrow and all of it will still be a part of you. And the best thing that we can try to do is try to love all of the pieces of ourselves. Every single one, even the ones we don't like, even the ones we don't want to look at, still appreciating them because they are a part of who we are. I look back at some of the most traumatic moments of my life and I don't fucking like them, but bitch, I made it through. And it doesn't make it all right that any of the traumatic things that I didn't deserve to happen to me happened to me. But bitch, I've made it through, and I will make sure, sure as hell, that no one else has to go through it as well. And so that is my rose and my thorn for this week, and I get to introduce to you someone who I absolutely adore. I can tell you already that this will be a two-parter interview, and when you begin to listen, you will definitely understand why it is a two-parter, because she really went into a beautiful place and... I want you all to hear the full thing. I truly, 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 truly believe that the wisdom and the love that she drops in this podcast is so worth every minute. And getting to hear about her story of growing up in Wisconsin is like next level. So I am so excited for you to listen to my drag auntie. I love her very much. We have done a lot of art together and a lot of just communing. I love her so much. She is not only a seamstress, she is not only a wig artisan, she is not only a hairstylist. She is not only one of the kindest people I know. She is one of the most talented drag performers I've ever seen grace a stage and someone who can completely keep you locked onto a performance for 16 minutes. Literally, I've seen her do 16-minute performances where people's jaws are on the ground. There are costume changes. There are wig changes. It is like production. So without further ado, I am beyond excited and just honestly overjoyed for you all to get to meet, listen to, and love just as much as me, the one and only The Suburbia. I'm so excited and so honored to sit down and talk to you, Suburbia, because you are honestly, in my opinion, one of those people in drag who I think, like, you need a documentary about you. <laughs> You say so. The amount of people that you have influenced and affected in a positive way, the amount of community that you have created, the amount of shows that you've done, the amount of looks, the amount of venues you've been in. Like, you're the person for me who I'm like, oh, my God, what's the word? I'm like, you're the like, um, like, I don't know what's coming next. Like, you know what I mean? Like, From down to, like, amazing group numbers with uh, Suzanne Barts to freaking amazing, like, solo numbers that you'll be doing at the Rosemont. Like, all of these amazing different pieces of yourself. But then on top of it, not only are you doing these wigs, not only are you making these amazing outfits, but you are that person for me who does so many amazing, amazing things. Not only for the community, but also, like, with your own self and your artistry. And on top of it, yes, your hair artistry, too. So... My first question for you, Suburbia, is if you had to like give a thesis statement about who Suburbia is, what would be your pitch to people? Be like, Suburbia? Oh, the Suburbia is blank. The
1: Suburbia is an auntie from the suburbs who does not give a fuck about how wacky or unapologetic anyone thinks she is. She delves into the 90s. She delves into people's souls. She shows up as a character actress in all of those movies as the witch or the auntie or like the woman that said, go that way or you don't need (laughs) him or you don't need any of them. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And sometimes she does a little jig. That's who she is.
0: I'll never forget the first time I called you auntie and you were just like, auntie? How am oh, auntie? <laughs> just so like, what are you talking about? I'm not the auntie. I was like, uh-uh, you ain't calling me no auntie. You are the quintessential auntie. You are the quintessential auntie. And do you know where that roots from? Is that like, was that just who you were in your family? Like you were just- Oh no, oh no, that's, not oh, a no. That's, that's a really good question.
1: Like, uh, I had a lot of great wacky aunties that were unapologetic mm. are, and are still today unapologetically Black. And um, a lot of them may not even know. And, not, and some of them are unapologetically Black, some of them are unapologetically Latina.
0: Yes, yes, and unapologetic then, aunties.
1: Mm-hmm, unapologetic aunties. It comes from all of them and it comes from, they're from like that whole sorority uh um, mm. group so we're talking like black power women yes. they got their own businesses mm. they 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 were running the, the church they had their sorority meeting every week oh. and then they would also have the big bigger conferences and as a kid I would always go because my mother would not, sorry about that my mother wouldn't want me to um, stay at home with my father mm-hmm. so when I would go they would have these big fashion shows, they would have these big dinners galas and um, they would also do these speeches and I remember being like "What? Are the, why is there always a speech why is there always a gala what is the point?" following <laughs> And now, like I find myself thinking about those events and how they—I didn't realize that they were—they were made to uplift the surroundings that those those women were within. And
0: mm. uh,
1: and and you know, one could say, like, what are all these women getting together, just having fundraisers together for da 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 da? But mm-hmm. in the same breath. These women are, especially on the local level, they're making money for different clinics, different schools, different movements, and um, some things they're doing silently and some things they're doing publicly. Um, and the history of these these sororities all have a rocky past. And because mm-hmm. we live in America, we generalize things, you know? Fully. So, Right. We generalize the fuck out of everything. And then we don't even be <laughs> like, you know, like there's a, the, the, and then you look at the, the black, black culture, you look at our culture, right. And our cultural mm-hmm. traumas and mm-hmm. a lot of black people that we see every day are striving to create a a, a, a Western civilized culture that they saw in their own American dream. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we all have to look past those things.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: and bring our yes. perception to that these these women are trying to make a better world for other people.
0: I love that because there is a moment where you step out of the image that you have seen and the image that you have been raised in and truly step out into some true selflessness. And yeah. I truly think about how growing up for me, the church, and everything that my mom did were always the places where I was like, I learned what empowerment was, what upliftment was, mm-hmm. the fact that like there were people who needed things far more than you needed them, even though you needed them a lot too. Like it was like yeah. sitting there and like knowing that my family is bored and struggling, but then seeing how my mom is still fighting and this whole church is still fighting for people who are sick and shut in, who can't leave their houses. And it's like, it was always that like humanizing aspect that like, is truly, truly representative of, like, suburbia, in my opinion. And you saying that that is where suburbia comes from makes so much sense because I'm like, mm-hmm. that is the definition of not only what you do, but the POC Collective, but every time you get together, any group of performers in order to do a group number and everybody gets paid and everything, and it's, like, great great time, great exposure, it's, like, it's all in the same energy and the same... Goal of uplifting people other than yourself. Yes. And you better work suburbia. You better work suburbia. And while I personally know exactly where you're from, tell this beautiful audience where you grew up, where you're from, what your hometown was like. Cause we've gone over it. That's part of the reason why I'm so excited you're on here is because I know so much about you and how amazing you are. But there's no Wikipedia pages for me or you or some of the most amazing people in our community. So, where are you from? Tell the folks.
1: Well, now I'm from Brooklyn. I'm officially a resident.
0: <gasps> Are you, that I didn't even know. You're officially a resident? Like here, here?
1: Here, here. It's, it's, that's how long I've been here. How did you feel?
0: I'm like, damn. But Whoa. I'm from Wisconsin. So what is that like to grow up and on top of it, what is the queer scene like? The queer people in Wisconsin are just as
1: queer as the queer people in New York. Mm-hmm. I've got lots of drag um family out in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, like who? So, like uh, Mal- Malia Marvel, Mele uh, McQueen. Um,
0: I love Mele McQueen.
1: Yes, Mele McQueen and Malia. They're I love them. Also, um, Linda Joe, love Linda Joe. Oh. and I have a lot of uh, drag family members in Chicago too. So that I love my Midwestern drag family. But going back mm-hmm. to that growing up in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. growing up in Wisconsin um, for me mm-hmm. was uh, in the beginning. This is how, and I've thought about how I would say this story a lot. <laughs> it goes back to, see, my grandpa was was one of the first Black Supreme Court judges in Milwaukee. Wait, and really? Was, yeah, and it was during the Civil Rights era. Yes, oh honey. God. So we, we were one of the first Black families in the suburbs that um, I grew up in. So all of my childhood, I was surrounded by these white people who would be like, 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 like mothers, fathers who would be like, oh, um, tell your mother, sister that I said hello or oh, I remember da, 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 when we went to the high school, whatever, whatever. We went to the same high school, the same elementary schools, all of that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I had no culture shock thing at all, but I did uh, have the um because my parents always we 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 were we we weren't like away from our culture you know we mm-hmm. were still, still we were just we were just a a, a part of a different district you know
0: mm-hmm. still, mm-hmm. tried,
1: still went to events still have friends still da 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 but um. When I was growing up, I remember in second grade or first grade, um, I had this team, this mm-hmm. Michelette, and long blonde hair. It was green, but something with the Packers. The Packers were doing really well for a few years around that. I think <laughs> I think it was like seven. <laughs> and um, it was of course, the Packers. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> she was she was. We were sharing like our little, um, we made like stick figures of ourselves, and mine was brown. Uh-huh. And I was seven, and I was and, like, I think there's only one other black person in my class, like a class of like, I don't know, 13 kids. And uh-huh. um, I remember her and me arguing about how the skin color of my doll was brown and it wasn't black because I didn't understand what it culturally meant to be black. Mm-hmm. that was like my first taste of like, what is going on with the world?
0: Mm. That is such an inter wow. That is yeah. so interesting. The difference between brown and black. Most black people always remember the first time that they had a black teacher. Do you remember the first time that you had a black teacher?
1: Yes, my first black teacher was Miss By. She was my art teacher.
0: What um? Great was that? From
1: kindergarten to fifth grade.
0: Oh, work. Oh, my God. And did, were there a lot of Black teachers at your school or was there just like. There were about a few. Um, three or four. And I think, yeah, there were about three or four. But how many teachers in total? I'm just, I'm interested. Maybe um, 14. Uh, see, because in my head, I went to a high school of over 3,000 students. So for me oh, no no no, like,
1: look, this was like this was like midwest.
0: that's exactly that's exactly <laughs>
1: A lot of time was spent explaining to people why certain things about me were the way they were. Mm. brought by a lot of white people, you know mm-hmm. And I was surrounded mm-hmm. by a lot of black people who Mm -hmm. would always ask me why I wasn't a certain meter of blackness. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. Right when you're a child and you're going through that, it's like a tug of war sometimes. And on top of that, I was in Jack and Jill. And for those people who don't know what Jack and Jill is, it's a, it's a a black mother's organization for their children.
0: I've not heard somebody say that in forever. I was born
1: into it. And some of those kids didn't think that I was like a certain meter, whatever they had. So it was, so Mm -hmm. it was like a trispective for me of like, you're not this, you're not that, you're not that. And then in the midst of it all, I'm figuring out that I'm, I'm this queer gay boy. And. Ooh the the like the performing started to come when my mom was like you need something to do because you don't want to do you don't want to play soccer you don't want to play basketball you don't want what do you want to do you have to do something (laughs) you haven't tried doing this let's do this and my mom was a was a theater major um theater minor rather Mm -hmm. uh i think whitewater wisconsin that's a university of whitewater Wisconsin university that water does not sound fun. It, it wasn't, honey. The, it wasn't. <laughs> I got stories that that aren't my stories to tell.
0: <laughs> Ooh, save that for the memoir, Mama.
1: Right? She was like, you know, you should do this. And I think I was like in sixth grade, and I was like, okay. So I started doing storytelling for forensics, and um,
0: <laughs> that is the that word. was
1: nice. I started out with Bill Cosby, you know, before we all knew about Bill Cosby, and. Um, I just stuck with it And I kind of liked it And I started doing well And I started winning these things And I was like, oh, I kind of like this I didn't really know where it was going to go But mm-hmm. when that started happening I also started going to military school Because my dad thought I was a delinquent He thought I needed help Honey, my dad is a He is something else, honey He might be listening to this now I don't know where he is these days But he knows I still exist <laughs> He put me in that mm. military school, honey, and the first person I yes. see was my school bully.
0: No. Yes. Wait, okay, question. So, like, I got a lot of questions about this because the only military schools that I know about are from TV shows. So mm. in my, I didn't know anybody who, act like, actually got sent to one. Mm. And so in my head, <laughs> I'm like, are these... You ain't even talking to suburbia
1: at this point. You talking to Jonathan... You're Talking to the creator.
0: Because we're gonna start with Jonathan. And then once they get to understand who Jonathan is, they can then begin to understand suburbia because suburbia grew out of Jonathan. So we gotta yeah, know Jonathan exactly. to get to suburbia. Exactly. That's why I started with the past. That's why I started with it. Mm. Exactly. But like I'm like, was this military school close to your house or was this like miles and miles away? Like, was this no, like no, a- it 30?
1: was not that far away from my house. Now that I'm an adult. I know Mm -hmm. that far away, but when I was a child, oh God, honey, my dad would pick me up from school, and sometimes I would either have to get in my uniform when I was at school or whatever, but like we would have inspection, everything, boots. Uh, uh we were, like thingies to make sure your pants are, and they would go through, check everything about, check your nails, check your hair, check your. It was only a forty-five minute ride away from my house, but the fact that I had to go and the fact that I had to ride with my dad to the place and the fact that I didn't really understand why I was there in the first place was my entire existence because I would literally go to class, and then right after class was over. I would go to the night school, and some of the things we would do at this school were crazy. Like what? Because it was at night, right? You know, we're in Wisconsin, so like,
0: so wait, so you would get up in the morning and go to this school? It this was just like, so it was like get up in the morning
1: and go to regular school, like regular, regular K through twelve school.
0: And then what? So then after that, you would drive forty five minutes to this military school.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my dad would pick me up from school, and I would either go home get dressed, or or he would have the clothes in the car, and then I would like get dressed somewhere else. Or,
0: Hun. oh, see in my head, I thought that this completely replaced it because that just sounds even worse. Because then it's like, yeah, wow, I don't even get to sleep. Yeah. Oh my don't god! Touch okay. That, boo. okay, So you are you would go after the school. Sometimes I'm talking to my dog, y'all. Oh no, worries. Go go grab her. Wait, I what are you about to
1: do? Just so that they know, you know, like, I, in case you can't edit that out or whatever. you know. <laughs> We can edit anything. Oh, but you also so fine. We I love Queenie. I don't mind sounding like Eartha Kitt yelling at people <laughs> while she's in the interview. I don't mind.
0: Oh, it's we stand
1: Legend behavior.
0: Legend behavior. <laughs> so you would go to this school after school, and then what would happen? And you'd have to drive 45 minutes with your dad, and then what would happen?
1: There were moments I remember where where i was just like this i feel like i'm never gonna get out of it there were moments that were horrible and there were also moments that were really like oh, okay that memory is worth having da, 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 da. like mm-hmm. we to go on these like retreats and um be in like a submarine and like all of our little like platoons would be in the submarine and we would like pretend like there's a problem on the submarine and like all these things like we would be we would go out to like this place called um camp Winakani and uh, they would take us all out like in this like this um this bus and uh, we would all go to these little cabins and they separate us by fucking gender of course and um, then uh, we they, we would have to play like you know capture the flag but like it was like like you gotta realize like some of these kids that were in this school were not nice people. Like they, like, they would, sub, we would do things sometimes, and they would, you would, you know, and you're a kid, so you're just like, that's where I really began to realize how valuable my perception about things was. And that's how I became a better storyteller, too, because there were stories that I could not really tell, but I knew that if I told things in a certain way, it would send a subliminal message about what i was actually saying. Mm. And then my mom started to teach me that with how I was, like, practicing with the acting and stuff.
0: And how how long did you go? How long did you have to do oh, that? Oh, I
1: went all the way until I think I was a freshman in high school.
0: So wait, from but when did you start?
1: Fourth or fifth grade.
0: Fourth mm-hmm. or fifth grade? Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Oh, my God. I'm just, I'm so shook. I mean, my dad my
1: dad was also in the military. So there could have been a lot of. Oh. With all these articles I've been reading, I'm just like, in these cases, I'm just like, there's a lot that I don't know about him. I don't know what his alter motive was for me being there. I don't know if it had something that was attached to his career or what. So I think about those things and I'm like, you know, I can't be completely upset with him because there might've been something that my father was doing just to survive just for his his status or just for his, whatever, his egotistical trauma that he had within his own, um, Mm. you know, I look back at it now and I'm like I guess you know it is what it is but that was also his life too so that's also like a factor that went into it too and I, you know, some of it no I did, didn't need to go through but when I think about it I'm just like how much how much was really going on and what type of strength did it take for him to put me through that
0: that's the thing it it's one of those things where it's very yeah. healthy and very I hate to say enlightened, but just very healthy and not toxic when we can view the world that way. Because I feel the same way about so many pieces of my childhood, mainly because it's like I was always going to have the childhood I was going to have because I had the parents that I had and I was who I was. Like, because at the end of the day, my family, I was born into the situation I was born into, to the beautiful parents that I had. And they are people working through whatever they are working through. Does it make what they do all right? but it does help me explain it. And that's right. how I feel so much about my own father of just like my, from I only kn- really know about my dad and like his life and his stories from what my mom has told me, because he's not that type of person. And on top of it, it's like, once he left, it was like, where, how you going to tell me? And so um, it was one of those things that I, I have so much like, Love in my heart for him still, even though all of the traumatic things he has put me through, all of the hurtful things he has said and done to me, because when I hear about the trauma he's went through as a kid, right when I hear about all the things right. he went through that like I didn't even hear from his words, I heard it from my mom, and it just okay. to the point of realizing that hurt people hurt people, and it's no different from our parents, and that like mm-hmm. that's why I hold so tight to my mom is because. She's not perfect, but she is trying consistently to be the best version of her. And that's all I could ever ask for. Mm-hmm. All I can ask for is growth. And that's, yeah, that's really it. Because it's not like my mom did anything traumatic to me. It was mainly my dad because of all of his, like, internalized homophobia, internalized hatred and stuff that, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel I feel very similar, even about my dad leaving. I'm like, honestly, it was probably the most traumatic thing you could have done to me as a kid, abandoning me. But also at the same time, I didn't need a toxic ass father in my household. <laughs> right. hmm Finding a silver lining in our lives because black trans people ain't got another option. <laughs> if you don't find a silver lining, what else am I gonna find? <laughs> Society ain't gonna give me nothing. Right. Else. Well, you know, that goes
1: back even into like what was it like growing up in Wisconsin? Like, as I got older and like I I started to like realize I have my own um Power to cultivate whatever I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I started to go deeper into the acting and like the like mm-hmm. I would go into more more. Um, I try to be a part of a lot of different clubs and I would try to figure out anything that I could do so that I would not have to be at home. So mm-hmm. I, my mother was was always working very hard, so she was always coming home late. And I had to do what I had to do in order to let my my soul survive. So mm-hmm. I made it a prerogative to continue winning all of these acting competitions so that I wouldn't get abused at home. I mm. would come home, say I've won national competitions, state competitions, my dad wouldn't even care. But no one really knew, like, the motivation that I had behind all of it was so mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have to be a home. Mm-hmm. I had my mm-hmm. schedule set up so that, like, I would never have to come in contact with him. Once I really, like, had it down, like, I had it down. And then it was down to the point where, like, you know, people at uh, colleges were, were trying to recruit me and stuff. Like, who knows? Maybe someone's listening to this today. And they're like, mm-hmm, I was there but uh, there's probably some people from from, the, from from when I was in high school at that time that are probably like yeah i remember like that boy like did the thing and da-da-da got fourth got first da-da-da-da. Probably a lot of people that that are that that follow me from those times and um yeah. but during those times that's what went down and when it came to like i think it was like i was like a senior in high school and mm-hmm. then i was like I was a junior, I was a junior, and things were like, just sort of starting to be like, okay, maybe you'll go here, maybe you'll do this, maybe, you know, what do you think? You know, that's, that's, that's you know, that stage where you're like trying to oh figure God. out, what am I going to do when I get out of here? <laughs> Completely. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of like limbo for like three years, I think. It's like limbo for three years, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, like I figured it out. <laughs> um Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right You're just sitting around like oh, ha, ha. oh okay,
0: shit. This my is
1: <laughs> my time's up y'all don't want to see me no more okay but um when it came to junior junior year like we had to like we we had a lot of floods in wisconsin i tell this people the story all the time i've never told it publicly but i really don't care um <laughs> I can't wait. i'm 30 years old at this point it doesn't really matter but um and i never told the story because i really like i was scared for my life i was scared for my mother's life i was scared for other people's lives i was scared for my father's own life but at the end of the day we I, we had a lot of floods in wisconsin we, they probably still have a lot of a lot of flash floods and mm-hmm. that flash flood there was a particular flash flood that came where i realized it was the perfect opportunity for me and my mother to 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 basically escape from the abuse, mm-hmm. and my mother, you know, we're she, I had, I had no idea what, um, being, being, putting, putting emotional investment into things was at that point. Like this, you're still kind of too young to really understand what that means, you mm-hmm. know. So my mom's hanging, mm-hmm. on, hanging on to, to all that with this emotional, uh, investment, mm-hmm. and and this this flood comes and i'm like he's gone let's go and it was literally like that i said it just plain as that wow. let's go i think it, it might have been a school night or whatever it, i don't even remember what she said i just started packing her stuff in her car wow. and, you know, and i just you know do do and we got it all in and i was like wow. we only got a certain amount of time let's go let's go Y'all see, I haven't even mentioned what the problem was. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. give you all that tea, but I'm gonna tell y'all how mm-hmm. we got away. I put it on the car, and we drove away. Sat outside of a McDonald's, and and after we ate, we looked at each other, and said, "Now what?" To this day, my mom's like, "If you wouldn't have done that shit, we you not neither of us would be who who we are today."
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, literally, fully. Oftentimes, it's the children that have to be the ones that like brave the actual like initiation of change because it was the same way in my household and it's the same way in a lot of other black households that i know of where like the person who initiates the change and the breaking of the cycle is the child because yeah. often so oftentimes it's not like especially when you got two black parents it's like they're stuck in the same racial system of oppression that like at the end of the day, they can kind of like survive easier together than separate. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's the child who's the person who's like, no, 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 no. We are sacrificing happiness for safety and we don't yeah. need to be doing it. Yeah. And- I
1: don't even know yeah. how he sees it from this, from, I don't know how he sees that day. You know and I'm, I think about that a lot. I don't know how he sees that day because there was a day where we went back to go get more stuff and I was like, I don't know why we're here. You know, we're going to run into that. The, I, th- I think about that day a lot. And um, even that day, I, think about, I don't know how he saw that day, but there was another day where I was home from college or something, and I haven't. An, I have a. My mother has a dog. Um,
0: uh-huh.
1: Walking the dog, and he drives. He drives up, doesn't say nothing. He just looks at the dog, and drives away. And that's when I was like, even if you know, there's some sort of like therapy or whatever. I forgive you of all of that stuff, but when you think about a junior. If you take a few seconds to really think about it, I told you what my whole childhood consisted of. Mm-hmm. It went from from being the whole time just being this uh, representation, but at the same time learning how to act through it mm-hmm. up to this point of finally breaking through. That's what my whole childhood was like in wisconsin so like all of these other things that started off talking with with like jack and jill and like the black people at school and the white people at school and being pulled in all different directions by the time i was a junior all that shit was like was like not even secondary it was like it was all the way over there <laughs> i have so much other things to fucking think about <laughs>
0: It just, it's so funny to me because our lives are very similar in that capacity. Like I when I tell you the amount of like I'm just survival sorry. I was trying to do on a daily basis just to get through living, like just to get through living, that it's so funny because I realized that like I all of the other things going on, like systemically in my life. I was literally the kid who was like in high school. I did theater because I was able to stay in that theater in that high school until 30, 11 p.m. at night, get home, don't got to deal with nothing. And nobody who's like, doing these toxic cycles within my family and I got to just go to sleep and mind my business and not deal with it. Like it was so, it's so interesting when I think about how as a kid, I was just in such a survival mode. I was just in a place of like, no, I can't really think about like, like, How you said that high school? There was like three years of just like oh whatever, and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the time I couldn't think about college. I was trying to survive. So the moment the applications came up, it was like wait wait wait. Y'all had time to plan out your futures. You had time to visit school. You had time to do these. Like what? I was over here literally trying to think about how to actually not like be suicidal. Like how I was actually going to make it through having to go home and like find my grandmother who's bedridden. who like my mom is taken care of. There's no money, like all the things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I so connect on that. Like when you are just trying to survive, everything else in life is just like, it's just happening. I'm just focused on this. And that I think is one of the things that I think is most beautiful about our experiences is that like, no matter what we went through, we came out the other end stronger in ourselves. Like we are, who we are and we get to proudly be who we are every single day. And I think that that story makes me emotional that you told me because it's like, it is, it's so powerful. It's so powerful how the words of children are the most impactful, the most honest, and what most people need to hear most of the time. And it makes me so, so happy at the fact that your mom had you because I look back at my childhood and oftentimes like I was the person who was speaking that truth to my mom to be like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so one, I want to say, thank you. Thank you for being who you are, even back then, because you saved your mom's life. You saved your life. You, you This future you're standing in right now with all of your beautiful blessings is because you secured that for yourself as a child. you That's the thing. I always am just so proud of moments when we don't even understand the world and what's going on and languages for how we feel, but we know how to take care of ourselves and we know when to protect ourselves. And so, With that, I want to transition into the beauty that is suburbia. And I think that that is probably the perfect place to leave this interview until part two next week. What I want you all to know is that this portion has been such a deep dive into who suburbia is and where suburbia comes from. And you're going to in the next episode get to really see where suburbia is right now what art she is creating who she is growing into and all of the amazing endeavors that she's about to dive deeper into into the next stages of her life and I am so excited for you to really listen to that get to know her even more on that level because I just listening to this story was so impactful because I it was just the overlapping in my life down to just like growing up black and queer and not understanding anything while at the same time trying to just survive i am i think that a lot of people need to hear a story like suburbia's from a person like suburbia because hearing suburbia speak about her life is one that is very powerful and is something that i think that A lot of people don't get to hear consistently because even when black trans people get a platform, oftentimes some production company or someone higher up wants to water down what you have to say to make it more marketable to privileged people. And the way Suburbia speaks and exactly what she says is something that's just so, it cuts clean through everything and it just hits right at your heart. And I love her so much and I cannot wait to see all of the amazing, amazing things she does in this future because Suburbia is a name to look out for, okay? Like, no exaggerations. Like, you saw, like, you can look up her Instagram and you will see, like, bitch is not playing. So now we have come to the end of the podcast I usually do another segment after the interview, but this was such an impactful one that honestly, what I would prefer for everybody to do rather than listen to me talk for another segment, go and process this. Take 30 minutes, an hour, a whole day, whatever you need, whatever you want to process what Suburbia talked about, because I think that Suburbia unpacked a lot, a lot, a lot in that interview. And I want you all to marinate on it because, yeah, Black trans people have so much wisdom just because we've had to and I think that if you sit and you ponder on it I think you'll walk away with even more wisdom than you can expect so thank you for listening I love you all so much you know that we will be back next week with another amazing episode and on top of it I would like to announce that after this episode, after the second part of Suburbia's episode, we will be going into our final episode of this season. So when I created this podcast, I planned on doing a f- initial 10 episode season just to see if people were interested, if people actually wanted to hear me talk and everything. And actually, the response has been so beautiful that what I'm about to do is I'm i'm taking some time off of the podcast to upgrade it in terms of like i want to create possibly a video podcast of this but i as well want to take the time out to make sure that all of the audio that i'm working on in terms of like recording all of the sound bits in terms of like Sound noises, intro music, outro music, interlude music, and as well, what I also want to create for this are um, little commercials in between that um, are going to be able to actually promote um, black trans GoFundMes or black trans um, organizations that are in need of funds, different things that will be able to really build out the podcast, but what I don't want to do is rush to interview people and as well make all the changes, and I want to actually have it be able to, boom, just be done. But what I'm going to be doing in the meantime from all the episodes is, in addition to my If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I do Minty Mondays, which I delve into a different topic and turn it into an activist and as well self-love sermon. And I'm going to be creating much more of those because I've launched my YouTube channel, as I said in the earlier part of this podcast. And again, you can follow me, subscribe, um, Junior Mint with two T's, also in the link of my bio. But... I am so freaking excited about um, all the content because it's going to tie into the podcast. So um, all of the sermons that I'm writing, you'll be able to find them on my YouTube. Um, The one that I just did, which I just launched, is eight minutes long. And it's eight minutes of all about nourishment and taking care of yourself. And that nourishment is more than just physical. It's emotional and mental. And so please feel free to dig into that. But also know that I'm going to be releasing short little podcast episodes like Minty Monday, Monday little bites, I guess. And, um, or not meant to (laughs) Monday moment of truth, little bites. So that way you're still getting audio bits and audio content from me. But I also just want to make sure that I want to, I want these interviews to keep getting amped up to another level and vibrating higher. So get very excited I'm so excited to share all of the amazing things I'm working on you guys really are not ready for what I'm about to release in about a month you're like y'all are gonna be so shook and I'm so excited for you all to be shook and yeah consider it like you got a little preview here because your girl is working on music okay okay so that is the end of this podcast I love you all so much and I will be Seeing you all next week. We have, again, reminder, Suburbia Part 1 this week, Suburbia Part 2 next week. And then we have one more episode after that. And the guest for that episode is one that you do not want to miss. It is someone that you do not want to, you don't want to miss it. That's the best way I can put it. Because... I'll announce who it is next week, but I'm just, it's going to be the best episode that's ever been created ever. So get very excited and honestly, like, it will literally be the best interview. So I'm so excited for you all. I love you all so much. You all mean the world to me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being there to listen to the wisdom that I'm dropping. Thank you for giving me your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your love with me and letting me know that you love these podcast episodes. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I will see you again in the next one. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. I'm sending you love, gratitude, and kindness. Mwah.